Welcome to Live on Purpose Radio with Dr. Paul Jenkins, where you will hear inspiring stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Feed your mind with a regular dose of positive energy and show up for your life every day on purpose. Living on purpose means that you have a purpose and you do it intentionally. And now, here's your host, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life with another episode of Live on Purpose Radio. I am so honored today to be with Carol Decker. Carol is a new friend of mine. We've met very recently, Carol. Yes. <laughs> In fact, today. <laughs> That's pretty recent. Very recent. Just but a few minutes. <laughs> I've read your book. Carol is the author of Unshattered, subtitle Overcoming Tragedy and Choosing a Beautiful Life. And folks, if you've been at Live on Purpose Radio very long, you know that I, I really love these stories of people who have overcome challenges. You know what? I'm going to have to even qualify that, Carol, because when I say overcome challenges, you kind of adapt. It's not like you just erase it or nuke it from your life. You adjust and you adapt and you find ways to create a new normal. So it's not that we're going to get rid of those challenges. Would you agree? I totally would agree. I've adopted lots of things in my life for sure, and both physically and mentally and emotionally. You certainly have. Share with our audience, if you would, your story. How far do we go back? I know, right? Clear to when you were born in eastern Washington. and. <laughs> yes, I was born in eastern Washington in a small town, uh, Kennewick. Mm-hmm. Where my I went to high school with the same high school as my parents. Uh, I met the love of my life uh, when I was 19, and we've been married for 20 years now. Awesome. Yeah, we have two beautiful daughters. Chloe is 11, and Sophia just turned 10 a couple of weeks ago. And basically, the story that I'm going to share with you today happened a little over 10 years ago. It was right when Sophia was born. That's correct. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was pregnant with her at 33 weeks when, mm. I, when I started to have flu-like symptoms and you know, called my husband, told him we need to get to the hospital right away. And next thing you know, they're you know, taking me over from the doctor's clinic to the hospital and I'm begging for pain medication because every part of my body hurts and I'm mm. begging for medication still. Um, and they come in and they gave me a shot of something to relieve the pain. And my husband stepped over to the corner to call my mom and let her know we were going to have the baby early. And there were, you know, five people in the room then the doctor, the anesthesiologist, and nurses saying we have to get the baby out right away, that the blood pressure on both of us were dropping. Oh, wow. And that I needed an emergency C-section. Now, 33 weeks, for those of us who are not obstetrically inclined, that's early. Yeah, yeah, it's it's seven weeks early. Seven weeks early. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so this was risky for the baby, but your health was deteriorating very quickly. And yep. that alarmed everyone. Yes, definitely. I had had a fever, uh, the day before at 102.7, and that day my fever reached as high as 103.7, and I started to have contractions. So, Ooh. yeah, you know, and like I said, I thought I just had the flu. I never thought that yeah. I would end up having sepsis. Sepsis. That's pretty serious. 
very serious. You I, didn't understand at the time what was going on. No, I, I worked in the medical field before that, and the only time I really noticed sepsis was on the death certificate, and Ooh. never thought that that would happen to me as a person in their, their early 30s. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it was caused by a bacterial blood infection from strep pneumonia. Wow. So in, in this state of alarm, here's this baby showing up seven weeks early um, because they had to take her by an emergency C-section in order to save both of you. Yes, that's correct. So um, went back for the emergency C-section and everything went well at that point, but they were having a hard time getting my pressure you know, under control. It just plummeted mm -hmm. and my fever went as high as 106.9 and my wow. heart my heart rate was about 180 and sepsis basically is an overwhelming reaction to the infection in the bloodstream and it causes tissue damage and organ failure so they were really worried about different parts of my body that I would lose them you know my nose and ears and feet and hands and different parts of my body started to turn black and lost you know, the blood flow because, oh, wow. you know, your body's smart. It wants to save your major organs. <laughs> right. So luckily Sophia was okay. She was four pounds, 15 ounces. So she was a big preemie. Oh. <laughs> but they were very, really worried that she would have uh, the infection as well. So mm. they were taking all precautions with her. So meanwhile, as the baby shows up early, she goes to the NICU. She's in good hands. She's... At, at least a, a hefty preemie, if we could say that, right? Right. Um, and then you go off on your own adventure with this sepsis, which I understand from reading your book over the course of the next several weeks took a really big toll on your body. Yes, that's correct. I was put into a drug-induced coma. They had to put in a central line to access so that they could give me high doses of antibiotics. And because my blood pressure was dropping as well. They have to give you vasopressors to kind of bring up your blood pressure and mm. pump you full of fluids and, mm -hmm. you know, every single thing that they're trying to do. Um, they had me on bags right. of ice to get my fever down and my kidneys actually shut down for a few days and I needed dialysis, but luckily they started to work again. And my husband's in the other room just waiting to kind of find out what's going on, you know, and, mm -hmm. and he's trained professionally. He's a dentist, so but he still had to go on the computer and really start to research sepsis and what it was mm -hmm. and what to expect. Wow. So it, all of this is, is chronicled and recorded in your book, Unshattered. Um, as I was reading this, Carol, I got the sense that things got pretty hopeless there for a while, or at least you weren't sure what kind of hope to have. Yeah, so the first 20 days that I entered the hospital, I was actually put into that drug-induced coma, um, and they had to make some difficult decisions, my family and my husband did, because the doctor said in order to save my life, they were going to have to amputate both of my feet, my left hand, and my right ring finger. And when they brought me out of that drug-induced coma, they noticed that I was looking past everyone in the room, and so they quickly ordered a CT and found out that I also had ocular neuropathy and caused me to become blind. 
Wow. Yeah. And then I had another complication called DIC, which is disseminating intravascular coagulation, which basically I formed blood clots on the tops of my thighs, abdomen, and forearms. And they had to, you know, basically my skin started to slough off like a burn victim. And they had to debride that skin uh, in order for it to not be infected as well. And later I had to undergo the grueling task of skin grafting where they removed the the skin from my back to fix those areas on the other parts of my body. So yeah, it was pretty hopeless Mm. at that time, I can say. Right. And in this state, you were kind of checked out. Or in and out. That's correct, yeah. Because you were in a a semi-comatose or a a medically induced coma um, state for quite a while. And that's why you said that your family, your husband, had to make these difficult decisions. Um, You weren't able to give a whole lot of input at that point. When they brought me out of the coma, you know, my husband talked to me, but I really don't remember a lot of that, Mm -hmm. you know, because... I was on so many different medications for pain and mm-hmm. everything else that you, your imagination kind of gets the better of you. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> so what do you do with this? I mean, this is... Yeah. You described in your book that you had this charmed life. You, you had this beautiful life going, and then all of a sudden all this happened. Yeah, you know... I was in the hospital for three months and when you're in the hospital, you know, you're, you're recognizing what happened to you, but, but you're not at the same time because Mm -hmm. I visually can't see my amputations or the injuries to my body. Um, and again on all the medications. And so my reality really didn't hit till I came home three months later and my husband drove me home and, you know, you think you're excited to go home and everything's going to be the same and, quickly Mm -hmm. learned that he had to help me to the bathroom and Mm -hmm. carry me to the bed because I was like a small infant. And that's when I call it kind of my freight train hit and I, my pain and anxiety and everything kind of spiraled out of control. And I actually, the first day I came home, I begged my husband to take me back to the hospital that he couldn't take care of me and that I didn't belong and that I couldn't be a mother to my children and, and be a wife. And yeah, it was, that was a really hard time for sure. Mm-hmm. That, that's when the desperation and depression hit. That's when the contrast of, of what you had before versus what you have now. Right. Kind of hit. Yeah. Wow. Now, as we get into the second half of our conversation today, Carol, I, I want to identify what some of the principles were that carried you through all of this, that allowed you to, as you said on the front of your book, choose a beautiful life because you had one before and then all of this hit and how can you how can you now choose that beautiful life in the context of what it is that you're going through now right so now that I got all the ugly stuff out of the way I get to tell you the good stuff (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the first thing that I tell people that helped me because when you're in a situation like this is that you can't do it alone and if you think you can, then you're probably going to set yourself up for failure and that we need to depend on other people. And so my support system was huge. Like my family came to the hospital every day. My brother, Heath, stayed by my side. My bro- my husband actually would come up every night while he's trying to open a new dental practice and mm. stay with me overnight. And 
my parents, my, my mom and my other brother, Sean, would drive four hours from Eastern Washington to be with me, and my dad and my stepmom would come over the other days. And then when I came home, my community here in Enumclaw, they would bring meals to my home for the next two years, and people would drop by cards and money. And my husband at this time started a blog just so he could inform everyone what was happening with me because he couldn't handle all the phone calls. So people reached wow. out from all over <laughs> supporting us and that that was just a beautiful thing we that first week i was home they had a fundraiser here in enoquah and there's about eleven thousand people who live here in this small town and five thousand people came to the fundraiser and wow i know right and when they wheeled me into the exposition center they all stood up and started clapping and i immediately had tears running down my face and couldn't believe that complete strangers were there helping me and my family wow. so that's basically like having a cheerleading section saying okay you can you can do this we believe in you so i had to make the choice and that's the second thing i talk about it's that choice mm-hmm. you know are you going to give up or pick up and and i had some some big decisions to make so the following week a bed opened up at the inpatient rehab facility at Harborview, which is where I had all the skin grafting done. Mm-hmm. And so I entered into that inpatient for the next five weeks. And basically that's where I learned to live again, learned how to dress myself and clothe, you know, feed myself and learn to shower and especially to walk on prosthetics. Yes. So. Wow. Carol, you've, you've opened up a lot of different possibilities for where we can go during the second half. As we come back from this break, folks, we'll dig into some of what Carol learned as part of this amazing adventure that she's been involved with. Stick around. This is Carol Decker today at Live On Purpose Radio. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to Live On Purpose Radio. We're so glad to have you here. Please come by the website, drpauljenkins.com, spelled with a D-R, drpauljenkins.com. On the website, you'll have an opportunity to receive a free download. And while you're there, make sure you click on the social media icons. Come over to Facebook, where we will be posting these episodes as well as our YouTube videos and other content and announcements for you to share. Please like us, comment, subscribe, join the conversation. We're happy to have you with us here at Live On Purpose Radio. Let's all support each other to live on purpose. DrPaulJenkins.com today at Live On Purpose Radio. Carol, I am so glad that you're here. Well, when I say that you're here, I'm in your home, so thank you for inviting me in. Of course, I'm so happy to have you, and to meet you in person is, is amazing. This is exciting for me because, you know, we were talking earlier about inspiration. This was before we actually let you listeners in on it, because Carol and I were visiting before the show started today. And we talked about Viktor Frankl. And you know who that is, Carol. Yes, I do. I read his book in 2014, and it changed my life. Such an inspiration, isn't it? Oh, totally. And the book that Carol's referring to, folks, is Man's Search for Meaning. Um, Dr. Frankl endured some of the most horrendous experiences that we can even imagine as human beings. And as I've been talking to you, Carol, I, I get a sense that... 
your story is no less powerful than Dr. Frankel's. And you've had an opportunity to inspire people. Maybe you didn't set out to do this. That, of course, I did not set out to do that, for sure. <laughs> but when you got uh, to that event center and, and half the town was here, um, it, it's almost overwhelming, the kind of support that you feel. It occurred to me as you were describing that, Carol, that this has been an important story for people who have followed you, people who know you, people who love you, because they get to look at their own life and say, okay, what is it that I'm dealing with again? Yeah, a lot, right? of, a lot of people do say that. They're like, I'm having a bad day, and then I just think about you. And mm-hmm. I'm like, no, don't do that. <laughs> but, you know, they're the ones yeah. who inspired me. And especially at that time, my biggest inspiration was my two daughters. I wanted to be a mom my whole life, and I didn't, yeah. didn't want to give up on them. We end up inspiring each other. It's true. As a result of that. So this this community that rallied around you and your family and friends and your congregation and everyone who who showed up with meals and support and smiles. And maybe without even knowing it, sometimes you were also blessing their lives and giving them encouragement and hope. Yeah, I didn't realize that at the beginning, but we had a woman named Erin Stout who was a nanny for us for four years in the beginning and she cared for my two daughters and myself as well and she was a nurse and Mm. as people were bringing these meals into our home like a lot of times I didn't want to see them because I was afraid at how they would perceive me by looking at me you know or that I wouldn't be able to relate with anyone I thought Mm. I don't know any other moms that are a triple amputee and blind (laughs) because you know we think we have to be friends yeah (laughs) we think we have to be friends with someone that that has the same things as us but as these people started to share their stories I learned that I could relate with anyone that we were all going through loss it was just Mm -hmm. different and my loss isn't any greater than anyone else's it is just different and then she said to me you know these people are you know serving you and if you don't let them serve you you're denying them of blessings and I was like oh well that that's not nice I can't do that (laughs) (laughs) you know that is one of the sweetest compensations in life I think it really is yeah and and I think it's really hard to accept that help in the beginning um you know because we are independent creatures Mm -hmm. sure and we think we can do it by ourselves but I literally couldn't do anything for myself at that time so and I started to accept other people's help and realize that the more I did then the more I would get better and become more independent myself Mm -hmm. right yeah and then when you go back to rehab they you know teach you how to do everything and I learned very quickly that in order to get out of rehab I had to set goals Mm mm-hmm Luckily, I was a pretty goal-oriented person before, but yeah, I wanted to go back home. <laughs> I didn't yeah. want to be in the hospital forever, so right. Yeah, so those goals actually drove me to to be able to succeed and do those the next steps, you know, little mm-hmm. by little. Mm-hmm. So I'm picking up on a few things. The first thing that you mentioned was that you're not in this alone. Yep. And I, I think that's a universal principle. I think that any of us, as we look at the challenges in our life, we can say, okay. Where's my human treasury? Where, where's my support? Where's my inspiration? And you'll always find it. Yeah. You've, you've mentioned also um, goals and having purpose. 
These are some of the things that I'm gleaning from your story that I think are universal principles that can help any of us to get through the challenges that show up. If I were to just ask you straight up, Carol, what have you learned from all of this? Well, my favorite word is perspective. <laughs> so yeah. I have learned a huge... I've learned so many things, so many life lessons. I've, um, mm -hmm. I've you know, been in every single emotion that you could possibly imagine from anger to sadness to joy and happiness now. And mm -hmm. I learned humility and gratitude. You know, I did psych therapy for two years in my home. So when I came home after rehabilitation, I did rehab in my home for two years as well. Mm -hmm. That's how much I needed to learn again. Yeah. And so doing that psych therapy every week, I would just pour out my heart to her and she was really beautiful. She was um, Jewish by birth and Buddhist in faith. And she taught me to meditate to help me to control my pain and so that I could get off the pain medication. And that really helped me. And meditation is a lot like prayer, which mm -hmm. I was starting to do again as well because I hadn't prayed in many years. And with all of those things, it just really opened my heart to to realize what I really did have, that I shouldn't be here. There was a really good chance that I should have died mm -hmm. and that I needed to realize those moments were precious in my life. And so I started living my life like that. I have like a little motto that I say is let go, which means let go of your fear and mm -hmm. forgive yourself and forgive others for what happened to your situation and then embrace the moment. So that means living your life for those moments, you know, and I have a little story that I like to tell about my daughters. You know, I, I remember distinctly in the hospital saying, I'm never going to make cookies with my kids. And one day my nanny brought in some cookie dough and I started making cookies with my kids. And yeah, maybe I didn't make the dough or put them in the oven, but I was there and I was having this experience. And that's when I realized that I could have more experiences with my, with my family. They were just going to be different. Your life is still here. Yeah, it is. I know. I can't believe. I look back now at 10 years ago where I was in the depths of despair and really didn't want to live. And now, like, I don't even know what the next thing's going to be for me. I just, mm -hmm. I've accomplished so many things to public speaking and writing a book. And my greatest accomplishment is just being a mother to my two daughters again. Oh, yeah. And walking them to school and being a part of their life. Wow. <laughs> Could you have even imagined a decade ago that this is where you'd be? No, not at all. I, I just also remember asking the doctors, so how long do you think I have to live? Because my body felt like I wasn't going to make it past a year. Uh -huh. You know, I, I think I weighed 90 pounds when I came home and I had bandages for the next year on my body. And it was, it was really difficult. Like everything hurt. And, yeah. Yeah. You said something about choice, Carol. What... You didn't choose for this to happen. Right. Where's the choice element? Yeah, so when I first came home, and I think a lot of people do this, is you start asking yourself those questions. You know, why did this happen to me? What did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? And as I went through that process of counseling, I realized that some of those answers I would never be able to or some of those questions, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. would never have the answers to them and that I needed to move past them. And that maybe it just happened. It was just this perfect storm. Mm -hmm. And and so once I got past that and, and realized, you know, that 
that I could do things little by little, you know, because sometimes when you're setting those goals, if you do too many at once, you feel overwhelmed and then you feel like you're a failure. So you have to be kind of kind and gentle and patient with yourself Mm -hmm. and just take one step at a time. And, and that's, that's what I started doing. And everything was like a big victory for me, you know, even taking the lid off of a yogurt was a big deal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Take what you can get, right? Yeah. So, and that, and that's a choice, you know, I, we all have this power inside of us that I, I really truly believe that, um, Mm -hmm. and the power from other people to inspire us that, you know, we can choose to see the joy and happiness in our lives and, Becoming a blind person really changes my perspective as well because I enjoy life in a different way now. Like I hear things that I don't think I heard the same you way missed before. Them before. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's really interesting. And um, I had a huge passion for for snowboarding when I was younger. I started when I was twelve, and one of my goals was to go back up to the mountain again when Sophia turned five. And there's this wonderful organization called Outdoors for All, and they basically made my dreams come true. And I got to go up to the mountain and ski with my kids. <sighs> And, uh, yeah, I saw the picture of that. In <laughs> that wow. was, I literally, that was my moment where I was like, okay, I can die now. I can go. I've done everything I needed to do, <laughs> oh, wow. but to be up in that mountain and just smell the air and the snow and to hear my children ski by and be like, hi mommy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Heaven, right? A beautiful life. <laughs> it is a beautiful life. It really is. And it just keeps getting better all the time. That is so inspiring. You know what? The shift from why me, which you're right. There is no good answer to that. Yeah. It's not that you did anything wrong. I hope you figured that out. I definitely figured that out. <laughs> because if you if you conclude that it's because you did something wrong, then you have to apply that same logic to everyone else who has something like this happen, which you're probably not willing to do. Yeah. Um, the shift is from why me to... Why not me? Why not? Yeah. That's just as legitimate a question. Yeah. But we don't we don't typically ask that one. You no. know? No, you're right. Yeah. Well, and luckily I grew up with my two br- brothers that taught me to be fearless, so I would pretty much try mm-hmm. anything. And I think that willingness mm-hmm. to try it really paid off for me. You know, the therapist would sometimes come in and say, okay, we're going to teach you how to get out of your wheelchair and walk on your knees. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> like, why would I do that? But uh-huh. I trusted them or they'd tell me I was going to hop and I'd be like, I can't do that. And I learned not to use the word can't. Oh yeah. That okay. just ticks them off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And once you accomplish one thing, they just make it harder on you. So mm-hmm. <laughs> Which stretches you and pushes you to places you didn't think you could go. It's true. That challenge, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Carol, what would you say as kind of a final thought uh, for our listeners today? I know that there are some of our listeners who are struggling with, with this challenge or that adversity or, or whatever it is. What would you want them to know? Definitely life is worth living um, and and that, you know, given enough time that you can adapt, you know, to changes in your life. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've adapted to learn how to do things in my home again from doing the laundry to putting on my makeup, you know, and just to embrace 
life for each moment to to live with gratitude in your heart that you're living and that you have the things that you have and mm -hmm. yeah and that there's so much love around us <laughs> so notice it that. notice it pay attention yeah and you don't have to see to notice it <laughs> mm. carol i want to do another plug here for your book unshattered Overcoming Tragedy and Choosing a Beautiful Life by Carol J. Decker. Where can people get this? You can get it at the Deseret Bookstore, and you can get it on Amazon.com. You can also get it through Barnes & Noble. And yeah. Yeah, and what am I saying? It's 2018. You can get it anywhere. I know, right? You can, <laughs> you can get it you know, as a download. Or... Make the click, it'll show up. Right. Within seconds if you get the download. I know, right? right. <laughs> well, wonderful. It's an inspiring book. And it, it, I was going to say it's an easy read, but it's kind of a hard read because of the topic. Yes, but there's a happy ending. But there's a happy ending, absolutely. <laughs> and, and the perspective of the difficulty increases the beauty of the happy ending yes it's right so yeah. and i, I share some really vulnerable moments so hopefully yeah you can learn that it's okay to be vulnerable <laughs> right that opens that opens you up for such a rich experience yeah but it's terrifying to do it it is terrifying but i've also realized that i can connect to other people that way and yes and that's very fulfilling and carol you also speak if if someone wants a an inspiring keynote presentation for their conference or event. Um, you do that sort of thing as well. I do, that's correct. I have a website that's caroljdecker.com and I have awesome. a few different talks on there and a short little video that you can watch as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Carol, for joining me today at Live On Purpose Radio. Oh, thank you, it's been my pleasure. Everybody, you've heard it. I hope you've been inspired as I have. It's time to go out and live on purpose. Yeah.